Hello. Welcome to Muriel's Murders. I'm Muriel, and I love true crime. I'm Nick, and I am not a fan. Thank you for joining us. Each week, I force Nick to listen to me tell him a story of a true crime. This week, we talk about internet chat rooms, oh no. catfishing, Yikes. teenage love triangles, no. and snipers. Oh my God. That's right. We're talking about the 2009 documentary by Barbara Schroeder called Tall Hot Blonde. <laughs> this is... All right, I'm already on edge. <laughs> this is going to be a nightmare. <laughs> but before the horrors, we want to send a lot of love and thank yous to our newest members of our Patreon. We got Justin, KDK, and Michaela. Those dollars go directly to Muriel and I, so we are able to produce this podcast. And those dollars go directly to unlocking exclusive Patreon episodes. Thank you so much. All right, everyone. This is a true story involving murder, violence, drugs, adult themes, etc. So if any listeners are like Nick, and they don't want to hear about those kind of things, please consider listening to a different podcast. Also, to be honest, given the fact that it's like a case from 2009 and it involves the internet, I'm really going to be sensitive to this, so I personally would turn it off, but I'm forced here. Otherwise, we will be cursing and saying some jokes, so if you don't like those things, also consider turning us off. All right, Nikki, are you ready to hear this story? No! Okay, let's get started. folks it's 2005 and we are on the internet <laughs> the future is now oh, no. youtube and reddit came online for the first time in 2005 uh -huh. windows vista was born google maps was launched in 2005 myspace was crushing it <laughs> having launched in 2003 mm -hmm. and facebook had just opened to college kids the year before in 2004 and would not be open to the public for two more years what they made it only college only yeah that's the whole that was the whole thing about facebook yeah but i didn't know you had to be i just forgot that part about oh yeah it. well see the world has changed so much but we're at the infancy of greatness right <laughs> really, uh, according to pew research yes in 2005 a little over 60 percent of the people in the u.s owned a computer and around 68 percent actually used the internet which mm. i was like wow that's not that much because yeah. i remember back in the day yeah you know i i didn't i had a really crappy laptop Top. I don't even know if I had internet. I don't I think I did. I remember being in community college and our teacher taking us to the computer lab yeah, right. and explaining what Google was. Yeah, yeah. I learned that in community college. Yeah, I think when I was in college, I was like doing all my work on the internet at the library at the school. I yeah. didn't have like internet at my apartment. Totally. Weird. So by the end of 2005, also, internet usage would grow to 1 billion users worldwide for the first time in history. Yeah. So it was like right on the cusp of like everything blowing up. You know? <laughs> so cool. <laughs> so through the infinite expanse of the internet universe, yeah. in the budding world of online chat rooms, a young, handsome Marine about to ship out to the Middle East 
and a beautiful high school senior from West Virginia met in a chat room for teens on an online gaming site called Pogo.com. <laughs> and so the stage is set. Miro, you really wrote the hell out of this one. Thank you. You're killing it. <laughs> You're so embarrassing, but I can't say it's not impressive, Sarah. I'm your wife. All right. <laughs> Jesse was an 18-year-old girl mm -hmm. who lived in the small coal mining town of Oak Hill, West Virginia, in a rundown house with her family. She had her father, her brother, and her stay-at-home mom. All right. She played softball and basketball in high school, and she'd be graduating high school soon and headed off to college in Virginia. So Jesse was athletic, mm -hmm, right, mm -hmm. with long blonde hair, just a classic healthy all-american teenager yeah she used chat rooms under the name tall hot blonde nice 18 year old <laughs> tommy's username uh -huh. was marine sniper so he was a six foot three muscular red-headed marine in boot camp and uh -huh. he was in training to become a sniper so tommy's mother had actually passed away when he was a preteen mm -hmm. and his dad was a military man who was often absent. Tommy didn't really have any friends and he had never been in a romantic relationship. So he thought of himself as kind of a loner. So the two teens met while playing Texas Hold'em online in mm -hmm. the spring of 2005. Poker players. Mm -hmm. And from then, they had this really specific dynamic to their relationship. So Tommy was this really dark, tragic dude who despite being so young had been through all this heavy life stuff uh -huh. and he would tell jesse stuff as they were chatting right things like he didn't feel feelings you know what i mean okay <laughs> so he's very dark doesn't have any okay. feelings brooding, brooding perhaps right exactly uh -huh. heavy and, poetic dude okay. right and jesse was the one who brought light and comfort and encouragement and loyalty a lot of the bright aspects so if he's feeling down she's swooping in and saying you're so great though you know your flaws are really your strengths you're an amazing person right sure sure i remember being that girl <laughs> <laughs> i kind of remember being a uh, i don't really feel feelings i just experience life kind you of a were guy. a brooder in high you know school I mean? for sure god what would your <laughs> screen name have been Back in the day. Muriel? <laughs> I know. Well, they just went straight to the chase. She was like, tall, hot, blonde. He's like, marine sniper. It was right. just like, you just say what you are. Right, exactly. So, of course, through chat, mm -hmm. they started to exchange photographs. Tommy, serious as a heart attack in his service uniform, and Jesse playing sports and hanging out by the pool. And even though they never met in person, things escalated in the classic teenager Romeo and Juliet way right. basically getting super hot and heavy at lightning speed <laughs> over the course of a few months I remember being there as well uh -huh, uh -huh. so these sexy photos sort of turned into these steamy chats and then melodramatic undying love pledges uh -huh. finally Jessie decides to lose her online virginity to Tommy. Is that a real thing? And they had chat sex. That's okay. what they called it. <laughs> After they had chat sex, she mailed him her underpants. <laughs> are you, you going to bless us with a little transcript? Did you, did you find what they were saying? Okay, I found one. Yeah. This one is not... Um, it's not as graphic as all of them, but it gives you a good sense 
because some of them are really graphic. <laughs> okay. So Marine Snipers says, wish you were nude. And Tall Hot Blonde says, what would you do? Stare. That all? Nope. You might get the magic. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Make love to me, Tommy. <laughs> He calls his wiener so many things. You might get the magic. It's a lot. <laughs> I want, I need everyone to know we are not laughing at these people. We are laughing with them because I relate to that so hard. Well, yeah, you were, you were kind of mildly that guy. Like. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to be real. Girl, I wish you were nude so I could just stare at you <laughs> until the magic swarmed. Oh, God. <laughs> Well, and I do recognize that this is a classy podcast, but just for my mind, do they go like to the full extremes of like very uh, detail oriented yes. type of things? And it's, hun- I mean, hundreds of pages. Yeah. It's a lot. So it goes on also for a very long time. Most of it, if you can picture it chatting in 2005, yeah. you know, you're not spen- spelling anything out. So it's like, you are so good, babe. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's how the kids are still texting. Yeah. I don't know. I write everything out all the way. Yeah, I'm, but we're old and nerdy. I know. <laughs> all right. I'm going to keep going. Okay. Eventually that year, Tommy finished boot camp and he was shipped off to Iraq. Jesse, of course, was devastated, but continued to contact Tommy through his father. So she would send him packages to forward to Tommy Mm -hmm. and kind of relay messages back and forth because he wasn't able to get to a computer a lot of the time. Yeah. Jesse and Tommy were able to speak twice a day for 10 minutes on the phone while he was overseas. So that's the most direct contact. But real voice conversations? Yeah. They would talk on the phone. Okay, so they seem to both be real people. So Jesse started making these slideshows of different photos of her mm-hmm. set to Aerosmith songs. Nice. And he would she would send them over. And this is where the couple had their first blow up. So for one reason or another, Tommy got the idea that Jesse was sending these photos to other men online. He had uh-huh. the suspicion. And he was super big jealous. Yeah. So he sent the, they sent these horrible messages back and forth to each other, fighting, and they're all going through Tom Sr. as an intermediary. Oh, so that sounds bad. It's like, you know, they're fighting in front of their, his dad, basically. <laughs> through the mail. Right. And eventually, after Jesse sent Tommy some more underpants and a silver key on a chain that she said was the key to her heart... Jesse managed to convince Tommy that there was nothing fishy going on. So Tommy mm-hmm. chilled out, right? All right. But at this point, Tom Sr. was not so convinced. Tom Sr. didn't like the relationship, didn't trust it. And one night when he was messaging with Jesse, Tom Sr. sort of let it all out. He was typing things like, you will hurt him and he's an idiot and will believe you're lying ass. You know, mm-hmm. they're fighting back and forth. <laughs> so this mostly absent military father is suddenly completely in the mix. Right. Super in the mix. All right. Despite the fact that Tom Sr. had a bad feeling about Jesse, six months into their online relationship, Tommy managed to propose to Jesse and she accepted and the 46-year-old married man hunched over his keyboard outside of Buffalo, New York, pretending to be both Tommy and Tom Sr. was elated. 
<laughs> okay, so the Marine Sniper is actually just some... He's a different guy. So <laughs> okay. to be fair... Okay, all right. Thomas Montgomery yes. kind of was both Tommy and Tom Sr. in a way. The photos of this handsome Marine uh-huh. that he sent to Jesse were his photos from his stint in the Marines. They were just about 30 years old. <laughs> she couldn't tell that? Well, I'm not even sure that that Jesse's real either at this point. So, Okay. <laughs> So Thomas Montgomery enlisted in the Marines decades earlier. He actually qualified as a sharpshooter in boot camp, but he never trained as a sniper, and Mm -hmm. he also never saw any live combat. So six years after enlisting, he was discharged and then re-entered civilian life with some sharpshooting experience and a drinking problem. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So Montgomery married his wife, Cindy, bought a house in Cheektowaga, New York, and had two daughters. For the past 12 years, he had been working as a machinist at the Dinah Braid factory in Clarence near Buffalo, New York, and he was manufacturing parts for power tools. So Montgomery was fairly active in the community and in his daughter's activities. He taught Sunday school. He was the vice president of his daughter's swim club. And he was generally thought of to be an awkward dude, but nice. Yeah. He was on the heavier side, balding. It's this big, bushy mustache and then those classic thick sort of 70s style glasses. Cool. Yeah. So prior to assuming his new online identity as 18-year-old Tommy, Montgomery was feeling a little walled in. He didn't like his job, but he couldn't afford to start over career-wise and still support his family. And he was dealing with erectile dysfunction and it was affecting his 16-year marriage to Cindy. So they were kind of growing apart. Things were just not really working. Yeah. According to Montgomery, he started online gambling under the name Marine Sniper to sort of escape from reality. That makes complete sense. Right. Although he never gave a real reason why he was cruising the chat rooms meant for teenagers on the night he met Jesse. Mm, well, <laughs> I think there's probably only one reason. <laughs> it's to meet teenagers. He's like, oh, he says that... <laughs> He like kind of wandered into this chat room Oops. and then when Jesse called him out in the chat room uh-huh. based on his username asking what his age was and saying that the room was for kids, he panicked and said he was 18. Uh-huh. So shortly after that is when Jesse started sending him sexy swimsuit pics and stuff like okay. that. Okay. All right. I mean, I could just completely imagine just you live your life, everything's happening. It just culture is what it is and then suddenly the internet is here it's just a new thing and it's so huge i mean the biggest thing is that at what other time in your life were you just constantly meeting strangers from all across the world totally that you don't ever see because you and i got through high school with no smartphones i didn't get a smartphone until I didn't have any cell phone until after college, I guess. And it was like, it sort of aided our youth in this kind of way or like our, uh, you know, uh, propulsion into adulthood. Well, what I remember specifically was being like a young teenager and going to the library to go on chat (laughs) rooms and how like dark that could get really quick. I mean, it was just full of predators. (laughs) In middle school, the first time I'd ever heard of the internet, this dude in computer lab was like, have you heard of the internet? And I said, no. And he said, you can see naked girls on there. And I was like, I don't believe you. Not in no way. And he's like, I'll show you. And he logged on. And it was one of those things where the 
picture loaded really slowly from the bottom up yeah. and it was a naked woman and I was like oh my god and he picked up the computer one of those big ass <laughs> monitors and showed the entire room that's how that's what the internet was to a little kid I can right. only imagine what it'd be to an adult who's right. like I hate my job right he's like this is a wonderland <laughs> yeah okay right so yeah. at this point in the story this guy has created this whole life for himself this like do-over life right mm, right and he is now engaged he's thriving and things are obviously escalating quickly right montgomery later said that the tour in iraq and then pretending to be his own dad were his attempts to break it off with jesse so he planned to kill off tommy overseas or use his tom senior character to scare jesse off but he just couldn't bring himself to end things and he used his awesome decision making power to propose <laughs> marriage instead so at this point <sighs> Montgomery was bragging to everyone at Dinah Braid about his gorgeous teen girlfriend, fully throwing himself into this relationship, barely attempting to conceal anything other than the fake identity he had used to reel her in. Right? Oh, so he's not saying like, hey, man, I'm pretending to be this no. Marine. He's saying, I've got this, is this my girlfriend. girl from West this Virginia. This is her picture. Yeah. You know, like she lives in West Virginia. Sure. She's beautiful. I love her. You know, he's saying all this kind of She's stuff. a child. No. <laughs> okay. So just after New Year's in 2006, Montgomery wrote himself a note. And this is an excerpt. On January 2nd, 2006, Tom Montgomery, 46 years old, ceases to exist and is replaced by an 18-year-old battle-scarred Marine. All paperwork is set i.e. birth certificates, social security card. He is strong, good-looking, battle-hardened boy. He has money in the bank, $2.5 million. What? Handsome, like a red-headed Harrison Ford. Okay. He has a nine-inch penis. <laughs> and then he later added, Yeah. I wish I would know the exact time I would change to new Tom to prepare for it. So... It's a little hard to know whether or not he thinks it's going to happen or he's just kind of having a fantasy on paper because it's a little out there, right? You mean he might literally be thinking he's going to transform into this person? Right. Okay. He's getting a little blurry, right? But that's kind of an insight into the picture that he's been painting of this guy. The nine-inch penis was like a big sticker. <laughs> it's like double underlined. Yeah. Great. <laughs> but regardless, he is in his own fantasy land mm -hmm. right he's spending all of his time on the computer taking these late night phone calls and fully immersed in this world that he's creating with jesse oh right because he's actually talking to her on the phone mm -hmm. and of course all of those things are not escaping his wife cindy <laughs> how could they <laughs> right yeah. so montgomery was acting super weird on a lot of levels he started to get these massive panic attacks at night at one point he thought he was having a heart attack and had to go to the hospital oh my god that's horrible and eventually one of montgomery's daughters caught him messaging jesse and told her mother mm -hmm. so this led cindy to finding some of Jesse's underpants and the letters and the cats out of the bag. Yeah. So Cindy made Montgomery move into the basement and she sat down to write Jesse a letter. 
She Wait, out- move into the basement. They're going to get divorced. But he okay. just, she said, get out of my house. Go live in the basement while we figure this whole thing out. Okay. Right? All right. All right. They haven't divorced yet. She hasn't asked for a divorce, yeah. but they're kind of separating in the same house. Yeah, you're, you are now in the storage unit. Exactly. So she outed Montgomery, among other things, for being 46. And she wrote in part, Jesse, enclosed, you will find a picture of my family. Let me introduce you to these people. The man in the center is Tom, my husband. There is no Tommy. He is taking advantage of you. You need to be much more cautious with your safety. You will only be hurt by a man who's mastered the art of manipulation and lies. Do not trust words on a computer. Cindy Montgomery. Oh, no, but she sent a picture of the whole family? Yeah. Oh, that makes me so scared. Okay, so she sent a picture of the whole family. Oh, no, yeah. They're all smiling. She's like, this is the dude that you've been writing. This is our real address or whatever. (laughs) People are still not sure about security. I know. She's like, you need to be careful. Here's all our information. (laughs) Cindy. So Jesse gets the letter, and obviously she's completely freaked out. So Uh she breaks up with Montgomery immediately. Montgomery is... Brokenhearted, devastated, he goes into a tailspin. And then a third person enters the picture. Mm, I hate this part. (laughs) Brian Barrett went by the name Beefcake online. Nice. Again, with these names. I was just back in the day, just pure heart. (laughs) Beefcake, I love it. And it totally matched him. He was Uh like a big, strapping like handsome dude Uh he's 22 he's a full-time student at buffalo state university and he also worked at dynabraid part-time to help pay for school also as a machinist Uh so brian lived about half an hour away from the dynabraid plant in lockport new york with his family he did things like coach little league he helped his dad coach soccer over summers he was an athlete as well so uh-huh. he was a graduate of star point high school and he played baseball for them and he's still coaching at 22 years old yeah that's cool man i remember playing little league and having some like coaches in their like you know early 20s and yeah. just looking up to him so hard yeah i think yeah. that was kind of his place in this thing so he's this dark haired really strapping handsome dude beefcake yeah and he's known for being quiet and shy that's something that he's definitely known for even though he's got this big body and this big kind of person not personality but presence yeah what okay so he's a he's a dreamboat also right and he was at school studying to become an industrial art teacher so like that's metal shop or wood shop teaching something like that oh my god so he this guy is awesome (laughs) he's very flamboyant online called himself beefcake Beefcake. he's going for it online i know okay that's like the lesson here right yeah so Brian was casual friends with this older coworker and would play poker with Montgomery online occasionally. Mm-hmm. Jesse knew about Brian and his scream name through Montgomery. Like at some point Montgomery said, oh, I work with this guy, Brian. And then she's seeing like maybe he's playing with Brian uh-huh. Beefcake. So he, she learns all that stuff from just casual interaction. Sure. So Jesse contacts Brian to see if what Cindy wrote her was actually true, that Montgomery was this 46-year-old married father of two. Yeah. Brian confirms everything. So Jesse spills the beans about how Montgomery had pretended to be this battle-worn Marine teenager with a black belt in karate and a nine-inch penis. Yeah. Right? (laughs) 
And now all the secrets are out. Okay, uh-huh. Montgomery's on the verge of divorce from Cindy. He's living in the basement. He has no teenage fiance and now no chance of really transforming into Tommy somehow. Right. right. And the dudes at work who are pretty cool know his dirty secret. Yeah, right. The real death of Tommy begins. Oh, no. Jesse and Brian teamed up to out Montgomery online and at work. So Jesse and Brian got Montgomery kicked off of online platforms for being predatory. They posted his picture and his real age on public forums, describing him like as a pedophile. And Brian told their mutual co-workers at Dynabraid about how Montgomery had actually tricked this infamous teenage girlfriend yeah into their relationship right so the house of cards is falling down from montgomery but in a surprise twist after all that jesse now fully aware of montgomery's true identity started reaching out to montgomery again what just like making sure he's okay at first she's asking and then it kind of like starts to escalate again they do a lot of sexting just stuff still Oh, all the time. She's like, but that nine inch part was true, right? (laughs) I don't know what she's talking about, man. So she reaches out to Montgomery again. And for him, this is like striking the lottery, right? Striking it rich. Ideally, he would have liked to magically transform into this badass 18 year old Tommy. Right. But having Jesse back in his life was definitely the next best thing. Well, one thing is absolutely impossible. And the other thing is like, well, what if she just liked me for who I am? Right. It is what we all want in this life is just to be loved for who we are. Yeah. (laughs) So with this, Uh the nutty ass love triangle started. So Jesse started sex chatting with both guys, playing them off of each other. Mm -hmm. Brian got Jesse's passwords and pretended to be her so he could torture Montgomery online. Jesse started sex chatting with Montgomery again. Oh my God, it's so gross. And I'll spare you the details. But at one point he calls his wiener a snake. (laughs) (laughs) And Montgomery starts to I have a question for you, Muriel. When you're saying spare me the details, who are you really sparing the details? Myself. (laughs) I just don't want to say it out loud. It's really gross. (laughs) Okay, great. And like dumb. You'll be, you'll like explain a murder scene in graphic detail, but if someone starts talking about giving someone a blowjob or anything, you're just like, censor, censor, censor. I mean, it's also like, oh, I'm going to tenderly hold you and give you my snake. (laughs) I mean, it's a lot, you know, it's more than you know. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, anyway, things are escalating, right? Montgomery sees Brian and Jesse interacting in these public chat rooms. They seem to be sort of doing it flagrantly in front of him while Mm -hmm. she's bouncing back and forth. She's telling Brian, I want to be with you. She's telling Montgomery, I made a mistake. Please take me back. They're fighting back and forth. And this goes on for about a year. And it's obvious at this point Mm -hmm. that Montgomery had anger management issues and that Jesse enjoyed baiting him. So that's going on. That's their dynamic. Yeah. But he's becoming increasingly unhinged what just like typing back in all caps with like multiple exclamation points yeah threats i mean we'll talk about that so it's becoming this big messy shitstorm of 
you know, teenage love angst and whatever. But right? is Montgomery still working at the plant with this dude? Yes. And what's happening in that situation? We'll talk about right. it. He, it's not great. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So all this stuff is happening. Mm-hmm. And then Brian announces that he is going to go meet tall, hot, blonde in person. He had a trip planned to North Carolina. And so he made plans with Jesse to meet up in West Virginia on his way back to New York. As soon as Brian was away from his computer and on the road, Jesse started back up messaging with Montgomery. But he had heard about Brian's trip to visit her in person and he had totally lost it. Mm -hmm. So to try to salvage things, Jesse texts Brian at the last minute to cancel. But the damage is already done as far as Montgomery was concerned. By the end of all of this, Montgomery was totally and completely at a 10. Basically straight up threatening to murder Jesse and Brian in writing, in chat logs. Well, basically Brian seemed pretty exhausted by the whole thing. If you look Mm -hmm. at their chats back and forth, Brian's like, I just don't care she's kind of crazy mm-hmm. you know like it's just over she didn't want to meet me she like canceled her plans at the last minute meanwhile mm-hmm. montgomery is just completely worked up right oh no i hate i hate this <laughs> and montgomery is telling Jesse, hey, you know, for the first time in 15 years, I'm working out every day. I'm hitting the gym for two hours. I'm running five miles a day preparing for war. And he threatened oh, Brian man. so much at work yeah. that one coworker wore a bulletproof vest to work as a joke. But everybody knew they were like fighting in this. That is not a funny joke. I know. <laughs> I know. Near the end of the summer in 2006, Montgomery discovered Brian and Jesse had been talking on public forums again. And he went into his usual routine of sending her hundreds of messages, calling her a whore, with Jesse doing her routine, talking about how she wanted to get back together with him. Mm -hmm. And the whole thing goes on for a couple days until for the first time, Jesse dropped the rope. Tall Hot Blonde signed off on September 13, 2006. After not getting a response to his badass insult messages for a few days, yeah. Montgomery called Jesse on the 15th, angrily screaming into the phone, and Jesse just hangs up on him. She doesn't say anything. Yeah. That same night at 10:16 p.m., on the evening of September 15th. Oh no. Brian Barrett clocked out for his shift, walked out to his white pickup truck in the Dinah Braid parking lot where he was shot to death with what was believed to be a 30 caliber rifle. Muriel. And his body was found two days later. <sighs> R.I.P. Yeah. You always got to do that. You always got to start with details on that same. If you, as soon as Muriel starts saying at ten seventeen p.m., you know you already know it's going in a bad direction. <laughs> so obviously Montgomery is a suspect right away. Most people who interacted with him knew about his vendetta against Brian and his increasingly unstable behavior. Mm-hmm. But of course, Thomas Montgomery is MIA. No one knew where to find him. Based on some preliminary interviews and the hundreds of pages of correspondence with Jesse that he had saved to his computer, 
documenting the rise and fall of their relationship, uh-huh. police felt Jesse could be Montgomery's next target. A few days after Brian's murder, they tracked Jesse down using her MySpace account. And New York Lieutenant Ron Kenyon called her in the early hours of the morning to tell her Brian had been murdered and she may be next. So Jesse spoke with the officers, confirming her address in West Virginia. And then Lieutenant Kenyon passed it along to Jesse's local police department so they could do a welfare check. Yeah. A group of West Virginia officers arrived at Jesse's house shortly after the phone call. I still at this point in the story have literally no idea if Jesse is who she says she is. They head past this auto parts store on the corner in this sort of dingy, tiny town and go up to the rundown little white house that matched the address given to them by detectives in New York. Jesse's mother, Mary Sheeler, opened the door and she tells the surprised officers that her daughter wasn't home. According to Mary, Jesse was 200 miles away in Concord, Virginia. And unfortunately, she had no way to contact her. So obviously, police are like pretty put off by this, right? So they go back. They think there's a mistake. And they report back to Lieutenant Kenyon in New York Mm -hmm. telling him the news about Jesse. But something seems off. Okay, I have my suspicions. Lieutenant Kenyon had just spoken to Jesse a few hours earlier, and she didn't mention any plans to leave her home. Yeah. The West Virginian officers decided to press Mary further, so they're hoping to locate Jesse before Montgomery kills her or something terrible happens to her, right? Right. So the longer the questioning goes on, the more nervous and stressed out Mary becomes until she finally gives up the goods. Of course, here we go. Mary's hobby was catfishing men using her daughter's photos on the internet. Oh, damn. So it's a real daughter? Yeah. It's So she really has a daughter. And she's, she's a real human. Tall, hot, blonde was actually a short, thick, 45-year-old married housewife with a mop of curly brown hair named Mary Sheeler. She had been collecting sexy photos of her daughter and keeping them and secretly doing things like filming upskirt photos of her daughter when her daughter got out of the car and going to her job where her daughter worked as a lifeguard part-time and taking photographs candidly of her and then taking these and sending them to strangers on the internet and having all these different connections, sending her underwear out to different people. And the daughter had no idea. So the mama is a creeper. Yeah. A real bad creeper. I think so. It's a lot of big old mess, man. So that is, that's <laughs> fucking heavy, bro. I, I just figured she was also using 30 year old photos of her, which is why she could like the Marine thing, clearly when Montgomery was younger, like the photos would be outdated and clearly not be of today's times. I figured you were going to say like, and then the photos of her playing sports They're were back. 70s. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Nobody. Absolutely not. And Jesse had no idea. In fact, Jesse didn't find out about any of this yeah. until she randomly Googled her own name. And she found out her mom had testified about what she'd done at a grand jury in Buffalo. Oh, so she's like really out of her mother's life. She really did not know. They were close. 
That's what they were close, but she was going off to college. So she had already left to go to college in Virginia. So she didn't even know her mom got arrested or anything. No. So the thing is, is that Mary was a housewife with a husband and her husband thought they were very close and their relationship was really good. And she was with her daughter all the time. I think one of the articles that I read was uh-huh. talking about how she only missed one game of her daughter's mm-hmm. in all the times that she's played sports. She's always there. She went prom shopping with her daughter. She brought her daughter two prom dresses, even though they didn't have enough money so she could go to two different proms. Yeah. She's like this very dedicated mom. She even worked at the high school where her daughter went to school, where Jesse went to school as a secretary part-time. Whoa. So Thomas Montgomery was arrested at his home and charged with Brian's murder on September 27th, 2006. So he came home and was immediately arrested. I have a question about it already, but maybe you'll get into it. You said they, he shot him like outside of work, but they didn't find him for two days. They didn't find him for, they didn't find Brian's body. He was inside his truck. Oh, yeah. so he, so the body was left there. Yeah. So they arrest Montgomery and he's, absolutely shocked and appalled to find out he's also been catfished right so that's just (laughs) the world's falling down they're all assholes yeah not brian r.i.p well maybe he was i don't know no 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 i don't think brian was doing exactly what a lot of people our age at the time did nobody knew what was going on yeah right he was the only one who was remotely acting his age and not lying to all of his married wives and children and shit. Yeah, he was acting his own age. He yeah. wasn't catfishing anybody. Yeah. And he was the only one being truthful the entire time. Yeah. So in terms of Montgomery, mm-hmm. there is an absolute mountain of evidence against him. He had bragged to coworkers at Dinobraid that if he did kill Brian, he wouldn't be dumb enough to leave the shell casings at the scene. But he did leave a peach pit covered in his DNA and a gun clip with his fingerprints all over. <laughs> well, that's also like that's like saying like, well, if I were to kill them, I could promise you the axe I would use would wouldn't be left on the scene. You're admitting to the type of weapon you would use in this total little hypothetical if I were to kill someone. Exactly. They never found the rifle that he used, but investigators did find a photograph of his gun cabinet uh-huh. that included the gun that they believe was used, basically the style of gun they would believe they believe was used in Brian's murder. God. Also, a bunch of his yeah. buddies came forward to say that Montgomery used to brag if he ever wanted to kill someone, he'd use his thirty caliber rifle. So <laughs> he's been laying the groundwork for oh, this no. for a really long time. And the peach pit is just such a gross sexual thing. Well, it's. What's I mean, funny it, about it is before he was arrested. Yeah. When he was sort of investigated, like when cops came to talk to him, mm-hmm. he was talking to them and he's like, sorry, I got to go. I got a bag of peaches in my car and they're going to go bad. Like he was talking about how he had peaches in his car because it's his favorite snack or something. <laughs> he's, a, he's a sexual being, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Montgomery tried to fake an alibi saying he was home with his family at the time of the murder, but Cindy was like, absolutely not. Right. And he's so manipulative. There are these audio recordings of him calling his daughters from prison and he's throwing Cindy under the bus and trying to get them to back up his alibi Mm -hmm. so it struck me as 
I can't really get the tone of how he said it, but yeah. he basically says, I'm going to protect you from all this. Mom knows that if you guys don't testify, then I'm going to lose and I'm going upstate. But I do love you more than ever. You know, I love you so much. Like he's saying, yeah, your mom, I love you so much and I don't want to go to jail and they're going to really send me to jail for a long time unless you guys really come through for me. Basically being the world's worst father. <laughs> right. Totally. Ugh. And before his trial, Montgomery lost a hundred pounds in jail. He lost a ton of weight, just stopped eating. Uh-huh. And he was put on suicide watch a couple of times. He ended up taking a bunch of sleeping pills that he had found. And it was just a, a big old mess. Yeah. And faced with an overwhelming amount of incriminating evidence and witness testimony, he and his attorney, Hail Mary style, tried to establish an insanity offense. But that was basically a no go. Mm -hmm. Montgomery was acting like a nutball, but he was clearly had planned out everything carefully with the intention of killing Brian Barrett. (laughs) He couldn't just say, Oh man, that was a wild ride. I can't believe I was <laughs> acting like such an asshole. I yeah. won't do that again. Must have been insane to do that, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Like, Even though he's been telling people just openly for a long time what murder weapon he would use exactly. against Brian. It's just not remotely an insanity defense to be like, God, that was crazy that I did that. <laughs> yeah. I remember that time that I lied to my whole family, catfished a child, and then, uh, you know, murdered my coworker. (sighs) Yikes. So at first, Montgomery Mm -hmm. pleads not guilty. And then he decided to change his plea to guilty in exchange for a plea bargain. So he was sentenced to 20 years for first degree manslaughter in August of 2007 with no trial. He then tried to withdraw his guilty plea claiming his plea was coerced. Mm-hmm. So he said his attorney told him, with all of this evidence against you, if you go to trial, you're going to lose. <laughs> and he says, that sounds about right. And then took the plea bargain and then afterwards was like, oh, he, he coerced me into not doing it. He's but is that me. is that totally illegitimate? Well, his request was denied and yeah. he never got an, he never won any appeals. Uh-huh. So I think it's, from what I've read, it's a lot more difficult to change a plea from guilty to not guilty. Mm -hmm. And it depends on extenuating circumstances and it needs to be approved. So he could switch his plea from not guilty to guilty without too much fuss. Mm -hmm. So he thought you could reverse it, but the admittance of guilt is a lot harder to erase. Yeah, I get it. To me, it just seems, you know, like in the realm of, you know, reasonable possibility that a lawyer could be like, wow, bro, there's no way like you're sunk here. You better say you're guilty. And then afterwards being like, excuse me, your honor, this lawyer, you know, I, you know, I, I panic because this lawyer pressured me into all this, you Mm -hmm, know, mm -hmm. the mountain of evidence and blah, blah, blah. Well, the trick of it is, Mm -hmm. is that if you're of sound mind and you're listening to all of the facts, like you have to take some responsibility for that. So I think the idea is that he listened to his lawyer, heard the facts laid out about why the lawyer thought he wouldn't win the case. Yeah. And then went to the judge and said, I'm going to take the plea bargain. And the judge said, are you sure you understand the consequences of that? You understand why you're doing it. You're making the choice. So there's multiple safeguards in place Uh for him to at least back out and feel like, oh, I was confused, you know, to say something at the time. But there's no eyewitness and they never actually found the murder weapon they just have 
a picture of a similar gun. Right. They did find his fingers on the clip of a gun that would be used, like a, the clip from a gun that would mm-hmm. be used for that type of gun, yeah. which I think is pretty good evidence. His fingerprints, his DNA. He was asking around Dinobraid about what time Brian got off work mm-hmm. and then in, just said that he was going to murder him like a million times on the internet. So they were <laughs> I mean, just like, well... I get it. I guess this is just a story of people like pretending that there's a whole other person here. I'm just like, I, it, what if you're just like, and then, you know, it was a his. 13-year-old yeah. you know, person, <laughs> you know, Russia was like, oops, I'm actually Montgomery or right, whatever. Right, right. No, I think it ended up, the buck stopped there. Okay, I think that's when okay. the, the crazy train kind of stopped there. Have but, you exposed all the people who have hidden identities? identities yes okay <laughs> <laughs> but uh i think you make a good point i mean mm-hmm. he he feels like he was coerced into that confession and i understand if if you're kind of not with it enough and that's happened to people you know they totally. just don't understand and how easy it was for him to change the plea the first time mm-hmm. he thought it would just be as easy to change it the second time right part of the reason why he wanted to change it it's speculated mm-hmm. is because the Barretts, the family, Brian's family, filed a wrongful death civil suit against him. And so taking the plea bargain and pleading guilty opens him up to basically successfully being sued by them because mm-hmm. he's admitting it. There's not much he can do if, right. you know, if he's already admitted it and pled guilty. <laughs> now, Mary Sheeler wasn't charged with anything. She didn't really break any laws. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mary's husband, Tim, didn't actually find out about the fact that Mary had used their daughter's photos to catfish men until after her grand jury testimony became public. So she had told him she was trying to be a friend to Montgomery online and he snapped and became obsessive. So he says, so she said, okay, now I have to go to this grand jury testimony in Buffalo and talk to them. But she was still lying to them up to the point where she was super, super caught and giving testimonies and stuff like that. Man, I guess if you're, I guess just once you start lying and you like lying and you get pleasure out of it, you just, you could just keep going. Yeah. I mean, Tim was completely blindsided up until that point. Her husband thought that they had this great marriage except for the fact that his wife never let him look at her laptop he he said that was always really weird but we've been married for a long time we love each other he thought that they were golden you know they talk about the phones and the screens and the internet and computers and technology ruining youth i think it's it ruined people like this later in life that just got hit upside the head with it and just had no idea and suddenly there it was just it's just like <laughs> it just poisoned them, man. So Mary's story was that she wanted to play online poker and cause she was bored, right? Mm-hmm. And she accidentally made her Pogo account under Jesse's screen name. Oops. And the game somehow automatically sorted her into a teen chat room for some reason. She doesn't know why. Mm-hmm. So she thinks maybe oh it had her her age on it or her you know something was attached to her screen name. I don't a think big that. huge accident. 
So she said when she landed in this teen chat room, she had a feeling Marine Sniper was in the chat room to creep on teenagers. So she struck up a relationship with him to keep him from talking to other children. Yeah. <laughs> it's like she probably thought she was really hooking up with an 18-year-old <laughs> with a schlong and a bunch of money. $2.5 million, <laughs> a redheaded Harrison Ford. Okay. So... Tim filed for divorce, and he and Jesse are now estranged from Mary, who yeah. ended up moving in with her parents. Oh, to that's this day, so tragic. Yeah, to this day, Mary has never apologized to Jesse and doesn't believe she was doing anything wrong, just saving children from predators on the internet. I mean, apparently, that, in in what context has she been like had her feet held to the fire to? try to justify that rephrase your question like what in the documentary they like really asked her to to unwind that logic she's only done a handful of interviews that unfortunately i just couldn't she's done one interview with the Mm -hmm. bbc and i could not get the actual transcript of it so Mm -hmm. and she talked to one reporter her name is nadia lobby Mm -hmm. and other than that, she really hasn't talked to anybody. She's not in the documentary. She has said things to the documentarian, but mm-hmm. she wouldn't do it on camera. So her stance is, I was protecting children from pedophiles by giving a pedophile what they wanted. Yes. She said, I'm saving kids by keeping this guy preoccupied with me. That was her with whole pictures thing. and panties of my daughter. Right. So probably her daughter could have press charges but just didn't i mean there's has to be illegal things something i mean i guess they couldn't charge her with anything mm. apparently according to the documentarian who made tall hot blonde mary told her that when she and her husband tim were in court for their divorce proceedings she walked up to jesse looked her in the eyes and said when are you gonna get over this you know she's like i was being a good person when are you gonna get over this Whoa. and according to larry getland for the daily beast Mary Sheeler has plans to write a book on the dangers of the internet. Well, she's a good person to do it, actually. To be honest, if she could be honest about herself, but it sounds like she wouldn't be. So. No, not at all. She said she's like a champion for children's rights. That's how she believes she's behaving on the internet. She's like a renegade helper, you know. She just didn't know it was gonna escalate like that. She feels bad about Brian's death and the escalation of it. She said it was stupid to keep going, but her whole intention was completely altruistic in her point of view. All right. Well, it's not our place to judge, I guess, but God damn. (laughs) (laughs) That's it, baby. And, you know, this is just one of those stories that's so, so sad and so, so tragic. And it is, it's so easy to call people who come up who come up with these fake online identities like pathetic or something. It's it's just like I feel like that's sort of what our culture likes to throw at people like that. But on a personal level, I just also have all this compassion for people that are just like, can I just be awesome? You well, know, I can I just think, be this thing over here? I think because it was the beginning of all of this stuff, people were also just still pretty clunky. Yeah. You know, meaning that we do that now. You know, that's, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, 
have a hard time with social media and stuff. Totally. And I'll be real. I think, I mean, I'm not being real. I guess it's, it's true. It's yeah. like, that's the best version of yourself. But now we're doing it in this slick way, right? Right. Where it's not a complete fantasy. Totally. But I mean, you are presenting yourself in beautiful light, you know, in angles, doing fun things. You know, it is this way of, creating the avatar of who you are totally and sh- and that's how we interact i mean right. it is like a really isolating time you know yeah. it's an isolating time to be alive you're on the computer all the time so to me i think we have a lot of practice now but i don't know if it's you know I mean, that have different the same spirit yeah right? totally you know it's just that these guys are starting to do that they're creating identity yeah this guy's like my name is marine sniper and i'm 18 and i'm like my name is nick castellini and i'm smiling at the beach i'm just the marine sniper version of me it's just like when people i don't know first discovered sugar <laughs> you know <laughs> what i feel like <laughs> Were you when there people first discover things you're yeah like, oh my god this is amazing <laughs> yeah we have to start wars over this thing <laughs> right. let's go <laughs> take over whole parts of the planet based on how delicious the sweetness is right exactly it's just I, it's just interesting to me because i think it of course it's like this story is the caveman painting of social media <laughs> you know yeah. it's the origin it's the like smack them on the club you know head with a club drag them into a cave painting caribou <laughs> <laughs> yeah the internet giveth and it taketh away <laughs> Uh, <laughs> so did Montgomery like serve 20 years in jail or is he still in jail I guess so as far as I can tell mm-hmm. he's still in prison mm-hmm. there nothing comes up if you try to search appeals mm-hmm. like he didn't win any appeals as far as I know there's no sort of news story about it mm-hmm. and this was a pretty big news story at the time mm-hmm. so I feel like if he won and got out on appeal people would talk about it but it's actually really hard to find stuff that happened about this after 2011 there's yeah. just not a lot of stuff i think right after the documentary came out in 2009 there was a little flurry and resurgence about the case but then after that people just stopped talking about it so i know that the barrett family ended up filing wrongful death lawsuits against montgomery the Dynabraid Corporation and Mary Sheeler, but mm-hmm. I couldn't get any information as to whether or not they won those lawsuits. Yeah. I'm guessing they won the one against Montgomery, but I don't know if he has any money. I don't think he does. Yeah. So it's crazy to think that she just went away consequence free. I mean, she had to deal with the consequences of her family basically deciding like you aren't who you said you were and we can't be with you anymore. And you, you know, violated every aspect of just trust and human decency. That, yeah, exactly. But yeah, it's crazy. I mean, do you want to wax poetic a little bit on whether you think she should be held accountable in some legal sense in this case? No, not really. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, yeah. she didn't violate any laws in New York state. Yeah. And that district attorney's office like the new york state was the one prosecuting so they just couldn't prosecute her i mean i feel like maybe somebody could have charged her with identity theft yeah but there was no like monetary damage well i know there were some high profile cases recently about sort of third parties like this being held accountable for manipulating 
other people online. Into there are, and I, killing. I didn't. I know that there was one. Yeah, there were two recent ones. One case, a woman bullied a girl, and she ended up committing suicide. Mm-hmm. And then she was convicted, and then her case was thrown out. Mm-hmm. So basically, the charges were all vacated mm-hmm. on appeal. And then there was another more recent one I think we're remembering of a girl who bullied a boy and she was charged. I think that things are shifting towards that direction. Yeah. But, you know, in the case of Mary Sheeler, she didn't really bully anyone. It's a different thing. Like in those cases, people were emailing, Mm -hmm. you know, going online and and cyberbullying children, essentially. Right. right? And then those children committed suicide in both those cases. And so people wanted to hold that type of abuse, you know, hold people accountable for that kind of abuse. Yeah. But Mary Sheeler didn't actually do anything. And she never like spoke to Montgomery about taking violence against Brian. No, or, no, no. Uh-huh. Yeah. It was all like, Oh, I love you, baby. Don't uh-huh. be mad at me, baby. I love uh-huh. you forever. Would she talk trash about Brian to Montgomery or vice versa? I think she would talk trash to, Brian about Montgomery. Okay. At some point. Yeah. And yeah, they talk trash, but it would mostly be like, I don't love him. He's stupid. Uh-huh. I love you. Not, I think you should murder him. I mean, I think that if she, yeah, I guess that's things, a, that's a pretty solid line in the sand. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. It was mostly like, I love your snake and <laughs> <laughs> hit me with that magic snake, baby. Yeah. All right. Well, I don't know what I'm searching for here. Some sort of semblance of life is okay. All right. Uh, Muriel Montgomery, what were your sources for this episode? The main source was a 2009 documentary by Barbara Schroeder called Tall Hot Blonde. Definitely worth a watch. The primary sources that I supplemented that Uh with were articles by Nadia Lobby for both Wired and The Guardian. She did a lot of... Mm work on this case and then she actually did get a quick interview with mary sheeler so Uh that was great i've read cool stuff in wired over the years that might be a very bro type of thing to say but like man wired (laughs) pretty good (laughs) (laughs) well for anyone who's interested in reading the article it's an i am infatuation turned to romance then the truth came out is the title by nadia lavi for the publication Wired. <laughs> Gets two thumbs up from this bro right here. <laughs> uh, man, well, I love the internet. It allows us to make this podcast and go into the eardrums of all of our amazing listeners from all over the world. And that is a, a beautiful thing. And uh, the internet is still endlessly terrifying. So I'm like, <laughs> All right. <laughs> Nightmares! <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to Muriel's Murders. Muriel did all the research and I did all the editing and post-production. And this podcast was recorded in our living room. To help support the podcast and to unlock exclusive episodes, please sign up for our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Muriel's Murders. Those exclusive episodes include the Daniel LaPlante case, Dr. Pignataro, Georgia Tan, the Mountain City Murders, Muriel's take on the classic true crime, the Black Dahlia, the Heaven's Gate cult, and most recently, John McAfee. 
And speaking of being very cool on the internet, we draw and animate <laughs> little bonus content cartoons for Muriel's Murders, which populate our social media feeds. You can find us at Muriel's Murders on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, TikTok, and Fanbase. Our DMs are open, and you can email us at muriel'smurders at gmail.com. Please rate and review Muriel's Murders on Apple Podcasts. It really does help us grow. And if you're listening on Spotify, here's a little trick. Just add this episode to a playlist of podcasts you think your friends should tune into. Our music is by Mario Casolini. Find him on Instagram at Casolini Beats. Thank you to Ryan and Ryan at Campfire Media. And if you want more Nick and Muriel, check out our non-murder podcast, Hella in Your 30s, wherever you are listening to this very episode. All right, that's it. Bye-bye. This is Patrick. And this is Mark, co-host of Nintendo Cartridge Society. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we're your home for all things Nintendo. On Tuesday, we're talking about the latest Nintendo news. And on Thursday, we're doing deep dives into specific corners of the Nintendo universe. Ranking the Koopa Kids. Determining who the best Smash Fighter is. That's Nintendo Cartridge Society on Campfire Media or wherever you get your podcasts. Campfire.